0: Well, that prayer was from Psalm 51, a very famous psalm, a psalm of confession. A psalm, if you read the superscription, is associated with a very ugly incident in the life of David. And uh, this morning we started in our Bible classes a study of First and Second Samuel, which is really a picture of the good, the bad, and the ugly of the monarchy in Israel and uh, this story of david and bathsheba is folded into first and second samuel. In fact, that's going to be our sermon text this morning, second samuel chapter 12. If you want to turn in your bibles to second samuel 12. It's around the 10th book of the old testament. And as you turn there, uh, I want to mention a little bit about this new series that we're uh, entering into. A few weeks ago, I ran across a book in, uh, and it was it was in a minister discussion group and it piqued my interest. It's called 11 Indispensable Relationships You Can't Be Without by Leonard Sweet. And in this book, he describes 11 people in Scripture, different kinds of relationships that people have in Scripture that that really we need in order to grow into the people God has called us to be. And the truth of the matter is, we all need help in becoming what God has called us to be. When we come up out of the waters of baptism, we are not a finished product. Uh, We need a lot of work. We need to grow into those virtues that Rayford read about from Colossians, uh, the, the humility, the gentleness, the love, the forgiveness. But first and foremost, we need help from God Himself. God's Spirit indwells us. The Spirit is the, the prime mover in that transformation process to help us become more Christ-like. But also within this transformation process, there are relationships that God has given us. Mentors. Mentees. Friends. Enemies. All of these relationships, even though they're different, they are part of our growth, and we need all of them. So the title of this series is called, Can't Live Without Them, Them, Not M. Can't Live Without Them. Uh, There are relationships that are difficult to live with, but in terms of our growth, we can't live without them and perhaps this is the most true for this first relationship the prophet nathan from second samuel chapter 12 nathan became a very important and indispensable relationship for david because david at this moment in his life had crossed over several lines and he had crossed over these lines to a point where he had become a monster And what's so frightening about the story of David and Bathsheba is that the lines that he crossed, uh, this, this monstrous character that he had become, well, he didn't even see it until Nathan shows up. So let's hear the Word of God from 2 Samuel chapter 12. I'll read the first 13 verses. Hear the Word of God from 2 Samuel 12. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, "There were two men in a certain city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man, man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms." It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock to herd herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, "'As the Lord lives,' The man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son, S-U-N. For you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. So I want to start off with a question this morning. Who has a key to your house? Who has a key to your house? We have different circles. We have family. We have friends. We have neighbors. But there are only a few people on this planet who have a key to our house but it's one thing to give a key to someone, maybe a neighbor for emergency situations, a neighbor that you trust. Maybe you go on a vacation and you need your pet to be fed or you need the mail to be taken into the house. It's quite—it's one situation to have this kind of emergency setup, but it's quite another situation, and I don't think anyone does this. Maybe you do. But wouldn't it be strange to give a key to someone and give them Full access to tell them, you don't have to knock. You don't have to let us know that you're coming. Feel free to use your key and come in anytime. Make yourself at home. Now, some of us grew up in an era, some of you grew up in an era where you left the door unlocked in the neighborhood and the neighborhood kids came in at any time, maybe took something out of your fridge. That was another time. It's good courtesy now to at least give someone a heads up. Give them five minutes to do a little emergency cleaning. We don't have to worry about that at our house. Our house is immaculate at all times. (laughs) Don't put that to the test. It's a strange scenario to even think about. To allow that kind of access into your home unannounced... But in terms of relationships, who has a key to your heart? Who has a key to your soul? Is there someone in your life whom you've given full access to the good, the bad, and even the ugly of your heart? Do you have a truth teller? Do you have a Nathan? Well, the name Nathan means gift of God, and we treasure both that name and its meaning in our house. But I'm not sure that David thought of the prophet Nathan as a gift at certain times in his life, uh, most notably 2 Samuel chapter 12. I love the way that this passage starts out, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. And if you don't know very much about the story of David and Bathsheba from 2 Samuel chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 11 is the great fall of King David. And it reads like something out of a Godfather movie. David gets caught up in an affair. And in order to cover up a pregnancy, he tries all different kinds of ways to hide his sin that culminates in the murder of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. These are despicable, these are detestable things that David has done. A man after God's own heart, as he's described elsewhere. But if you're looking for an interesting word study, uh, consider the word that begins 2 Samuel chapter 12. And it's the word sent. If you go back and read 2 Samuel chapter 11, you'll find the word Sent or send, dominates the whole narrative of David and Bathsheba. From David sending for Bathsheba after he sees her from the roof of his palace, to David sending for her husband Uriah to try to orchestrate a cover-up to David, sending a letter to Joab, the commander of his army, by Uriah's very hand, giving instructions for Joab to send Uriah to the front lines and then pull the army back, put Uriah in a vulnerable position, and let him be slaughtered in order to cover up this sin. This sin. David is a sender. David is an orchestrator. And very quickly, David the sender becomes David the sinner. And by the time we get to our sermon passage this morning, God had had enough of David's sending. Now it's time for the Lord to send someone to David. It's time for the Lord to send a gift, gift of God. It's time for the Lord to send Nathan. And what is Nathan's task? Well, as mentioned before, the part of the story of David and Bathsheba that should give us all pause is that David the sender had become blind to David the sinner. It's the most sinister part of sin self deception, spiritual blindness. David had done all of these terrible things, but his picture of himself had become distorted. His heart was a mess. There were clothes on the floor, dishes in the sink, holes in the wall, cracks in the roof. The foundation had come apart. David's house, David's heart was in shambles. And the scary thing is, he couldn't see it. He needed another pair of eyes. He needed to give access to a trusted inspector. He needed a Nathan. And I would just add this. Don't we all? Don't we all need a Nathan? Everyone in this room is a mess to one degree or another. There are parts of our hearts that are disheveled, disordered, and flat-out broken. It's life in a fallen world. We pick up the muck. We track mud on the carpet of our hearts. There is a light and there is a shadow to each person in this room. And the thing about the shadow is that it's hard to face that part of us. Maybe it's pride. At least, that's what it is for me. Maybe it's wanting to keep up appearances, to avoid embarrassment, but our brokenness, we keep that tucked away. We keep it locked up inside of our hearts where no one else knows what's going on. And if someone does want to see what's in our hearts, we say, give me a minute. Let me take what's in the living room and push it into a closet and put it under a bed. And hide the mess from others. But here's the problem with that. What kind of people do we become if we are the chief inspector? What kind of people do we become if we are the only inspector? If we're the only one who has access to the mess? Well, we become David in 2 Samuel Chapter 11, there's a reason why we tell our kids whenever someone comes and visits, walk through the house and pretend like you're a visitor, seeing this for the first time. Look at it through another pair of eyes. Because when you live in a house, the messes tend to disappear. They disappear into the background. They're harder to see for whatever reason. Those things that are unsightly, we gloss over. And when it comes to the heart, well, there are some things that are impossible to see without another pair of eyes, without giving someone else access to the mess. Because who wants to face their brokenness? Who wants to face their own shadow? And so, yes, when we're the chief inspector, we become David in 2 Samuel chapter 11. David wasn't about to give anyone the key to his heart. He could hide what he did from outsiders, people outside of that little circle of conspirators, Bathsheba and Joab. And David had become adept at hiding from his own shadow. But it was David who also told us in Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. And as much as we can deceive ourselves, as much as we as human beings have the capacity for self-deception, there is someone whom we cannot deceive, the one who has all access at all times, the one who searches hearts and minds, the one who knows all about the mess. And here's the word of grace when we gather around the table. God knows. He knows those corners. He knows the shadow. And yet he still sent his son to die for our sins. Because of his love. God knew exactly what David had done. And it was time for David to hand over the keys of his messy heart to someone else. But here's the thing about the prophet Nathan gift of God. Nathan lives up to his name. Nathan truly was a gift to David, even though it probably took David a while to realize it. Nathan approaches David, not with a full frontal attack through the front door of David's heart, but rather through a story, a story about injustice, a story that Nathan knew would rile up David's anger because despite David's self-deception... He still had a soft spot for the weak and the vulnerable who were being preyed upon by a bully. David hated bullies. And Nathan's story allowed David to stir up some righteous indignation. And without David knowing it, he had opened a door for Nathan to walk right into his heart, straight into the mess And this story about a rich man who took advantage of a poor man allowed David to see clearly how twisted his heart had become with one simple phrase. You're the man, David. You're the rich man who took advantage of the poor man. You're the man. The truth can really hurt It's painful to read this story. It's painful to read 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. It's painful because we can find ourselves there. But without this moment, who knows what kind of hideous monster David would have further become Without this sheer act of grace from God in sending Nathan to show David this mess, what hope would David have of becoming the person God had called him to be? What kind of hope would David have without a Nathan in his life? What kind of hope would any of us have without a Nathan? So the obvious question this morning as we close. Who is your Nathan? Who has the keys to your heart? Do you have someone with all access who can come into your house at any time and catch you in your pajamas? Someone who can walk in without you having a chance to hide the mess? Someone who can walk in and tell you the truth about yourself and point out something that you might not be able to see Well, that takes a lot of trust, but if you have found a Nathan, you have a true gift in this life. There have been times in my life when God has sent me a Nathan. There have been times in my life when I voluntarily, probably holding on tightly to the keys, but I handed the keys over to a Nathan and I've had some very painful conversations. They were hard to hear. But I'm a better person because I allowed a truth teller to point out the disheveled places in my heart. I thank God for the Nathans. In his book, Leonard Sweet talks about the word accountability and accountability partners and accountability groups, and uh, that's kind of a buzzword amongst churches. It's been that way for decades. I remember when I was a a college student being put into an accountability group, and we spent a lot of time together. Sweet doesn't really care for that word accountability. He prefers a different word. He prefers the word editor. He asked the question, do you have an editor? I had one this last week. I had a friend, I was turning in a paper and I was asking him a few questions and he came back and said, by the way, I have a few editing suggestions on your paper, something I was very thankful for. Do you have someone who's willing and has the skill to look at your heart, to look it over, to correct, to expose the mistakes? The thing about an editor, and I like that image, is that the editor wants the best version of you to be put on display. An editor wants what's best for you. I like that idea of having an editor in my life. I like it because it speaks to what this process is all about of transformation and what's really at stake. It's it's not just about our personal growth that is part of it. It's not just about our salvation Uh, That is part of it. But the image of an editor reminds us of our witness to the world. The ugliness inside of us, the messiness, if it is left unchecked, will ruin our witness and our mission to our neighbors and beyond. We need help to be the people that God has called us to be. How true those lyrics are from the song we sang a while ago. I need thee every hour, every hour, I need thee. And having a Nathan is part of that help. Uh, Nathan is someone whom we really can't live without if we are to be the people God has called us to be. Uh, God's spirit is active among us, chiseling away the sin that so easily entangles. And by God's grace, we grow into those virtues that Rayford read earlier those virtues of Christ, and we testify in our very lives, His mercy, His love, and His power. And Nathans are very much a part of this process. Have you found your Nathan? If you haven't found your Nathan, I'm going to ask you and challenge you to do something very brave this week. Pray for a Nathan. Pray for an editor. Pray for God to send you someone who will tell you the truth. You'll be better for it. And the kingdom will be better for it. This is good news. God, through His Spirit, working through the church, sharpening us, helping us to be the people that He's called us to be. And all of this is a testimony to His love, a love that was so powerful that knowing who we are, knowing the ugliness, the mud, the dirt, the sin, sent His Son to die on the cross so that we would be washed clean, so that we would be sanctified sanctified, being made holy, being set apart, being transformed, and finally, being justified before Him. If you'd like to respond to the good news of Jesus the Christ, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.